Welcome to the Baker Tilly U.S. podcast, an online community developed to connect you to our partners and leaders across the globe. Subscribe today to continue discovering new and unique ways that Baker Tilly can enhance or protect your value as we discuss timely, relevant, and impactful topics. Our current series is specific to contractors. In this podcast, we will respond to the unique ways coronavirus is affecting the construction industry by speaking with Baker Tilly practice group leaders. We'll discuss practical construction guidance to help you through the next several weeks and to prepare your business and employees to come back strong in the future. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Building Resilience, Baker Tilly's podcast series addressing strategies for contractors to adapt, respond, and prepare for the rebound. I am Laura Cataldo, a Senior Consulting Manager with Baker Tilly's Construction and Real Estate Practice. I am delighted to have my colleagues, Barbara McDuffie and Roger Ledbetter, join us today to discuss the importance of assessing your recovery readiness. Would you like to each introduce yourselves? Good morning. I'm delighted to be here with Laura and Roger today to discuss the importance of this topic. I'm Barbara McDuffie, a Managing Director for Business Development at Baker Tilly, working primarily with our commercial real estate clients and friends. I'm Roger Ledbetter. I'm a tax partner, uh, and I lead our construction real estate practice in uh, our Houston, Texas office. Thanks for being here today, Roger and Barbara. So the impact of COVID-19 pandemic has been far reaching to the construction industry. As many states are shifting to opening up businesses, many contractors are beginning to shift their strategic focus to the restart and ramp up of their operations. At Baker Tilly, we believe that innovation comes from disruption and by strengthening business resilience today, contractors can develop a focused and prepared strategy and adjust business practices in order to emerge stronger after this disruption. In response to this shift, Baker Tilly launched industry-specific assessment tools to help measure how prepared companies are for a recovering economy and identify areas that need improvement. Roger, you were involved in the development of the assessment tool. From the leadership perspective of our national construction team, why was this an important tool for us to offer our clients? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and it, it, in looking back on the last, whatever it's been, five, six months since COVID hit, yeah, I can't imagine one industry or one client that hasn't been impacted in a certain way positively or negatively. Um, and so I think what was, you know, the, the assessment tool was really necessary to, to help business owners stop and assess where they are. And certainly there was a, a reactionary need uh, that I believe the tool helps in assessing and determining, but there's also, the tool also can assess, uh, assist in a uh, medium term and a long-term plan as well. And I think that's what makes this tool so versatile is that not only does it help you assess your, your immediate needs and what you need to identify now, uh, but it also encourages you know, medium and long-term thinking as well. Uh, so I, I think that's why it was, it was so critical to get it out there to our, to our construction clients. Absolutely. I think it's the power of the pause, right? Taking advantage of that break right now to stop and strategize and look forward. So after our contractor takes the assessment, we generate a customized report that identifies areas that a company should focus on improving. 
Then we schedule a call to review the report and discuss the findings with the contractor. Barbara, you and I have worked together on delivering the, that report to a few different contractors. What is the feedback that you've received from those contacts and why would you recommend a company take the assessment today? Laura, the feedback has been unanimously positive. This tool not only highlights where contractors can improve their processes and enhance their bottom line, but it also can validate all the things they're doing right. I think this is a huge bonus. We all like to know what we're doing well. The other interesting feedback we've received is a request to take the assessment again in a few months to see the improvements that they've made. It's a challenging time for construction and real estate, and our goal is to have everyone come out of this unprecedented time with a solid business plan for the future. That's absolutely what we're hoping for. And it has been an honor to work with both of you on this project because you both have such great insight into the construction industry. My hope in having you join me today for the podcast was to briefly touch on each of the six categories assessed in the report operations, profitability, and revenue, client relationships and branding, human capital and succession, financial resilience and business optimization, IT infrastructure and cybersecurity, and the stabilization of subcontractors and suppliers. So let's start with operations, profitability, and revenue. The crisis has had a huge impact on how we do business and get work done. While these changes have been forced upon us, and hopefully will be temporary, many organizations will begin to evaluate permanent changes to their business models. We know that COVID-19 has impacted many projects and likely contractor backlog. Is there anything contractors should be considering related to the impact on future revenue? Laura, one of the biggest challenges for our commercial construction clients has been the fact that they had a big backlog of business that all of a sudden was put on pause. And of course, not knowing how long this work may be delayed. The other issue is the ability to identify and track COVID-related costs in their project work. But there is some good news. All of these companies, when they do return to the office, are going to have to do a lot of new interior work to be compliant in terms of the new normal under COVID and proper spacing. And the residential developers I've talked to have found the biggest challenge has been labor. They are busier than ever. They have more work than they know what, know what to do with, as many city dwellers are seeking a suburban lifestyle. Where I have a home in South Carolina, July sales were up 663% over July of 2019. That's huge. And the other two hot segments in construction are biotech and industrial. Science and online shopping is driving these two important segments in our commercial real estate field. And I think interesting with that, Barbara, is the trend for online shopping, how it's driving an increase in distribution centers and really revising what that shopping experience looks like, moving away from brick and mortar stores into all of the necessary buildings that are required to support online shopping. What's interesting about that, Laura, is that some of the strip malls that are going to probably lose some of their smaller clients may be transitioning some of that space into next day delivery, online delivery for clients to get it closer to where people live. 
I see the same. Roger, what are some of your thoughts about this? Yeah, I think, you know, just listening to, to you guys uh, on the back and forth, what I'm picking up on is certainly what I'm hearing in the industry. There's this weird dynamic of, uh, with quite frankly, a lot of our contractor clients, now the delays they typically incurred, you know, think of, you know, heavy construction, uh, you know, road type construction, uh, they, there's less delays. And so they can actually get the work done faster. Uh, and we have a lot of clients who did work through a lot of their existing backlog at record paces. Uh, you know, so we, we talked to these, uh, these clients through Q2 and they're going to have record years. Uh, but now we're seeing the, the longer term backlog start to dry up. And so it is, you know, it is a little bit of uh, how can you adapt and, and necessity being the mother of invention, what can you do to take advantage of these shifts and these changes in uh, the competitive landscape? You know, so for the first time, I think we saw, uh, at least in, in the Texas region, uh, you, we saw prices for construction actually drop. So there are this lower cost of construction. There's more competition out there and more people vying for work. Uh, but at the same time, we see these delays are, are less and less. And so your, your, your longer term kind of operational costs should be reduced as well, your overhead for the job. And so clients and, 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 and construction contractors who can take advantage of these opportunities, I think will be uh, in a great situation to not only thrive now, uh, but also thrive in the future when things get back to uh, using air quotes normal. Mm -hmm. No, for those of us that are in parts of the United States where construction might slow in the winter, it certainly was great to see contractors taking advantage of some of the opportunities that the pandemic brought forward so that they could accelerate schedules for road construction due to decrease of vehicles on the roads and schools, school contractors that were really struggling to maybe meet year-end deadlines, but because the campuses were vacated in mid-March, they were able to catch up catch up on the schedule and get those projects completed ahead of time. So the strategic growth challenges are so closely aligned with client relationships and branding. For most contractors, determining how and when demand for their services will return and return to pre-crisis levels is an important factor for the development of a recovery plan. Never having experienced a pandemic before, many feel that looking into a crystal ball may be an effective solution. But the real challenge for many is that our industry has historically relied on in-person business development to build and maintain client relationships. How are you seeing contractors successfully adjusting to this change? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Laura. My general opinion is this, is that any adjustments or any reactions that, that businesses take to adapt to the new environment should, should also have a long-term. There should be a reaction piece of it but also a long-term implementation to it. And so I say that, that it's, I don't recommend doing wholesale shifts of marketing plans or, or market engagement or new client. Uh, we need to layer on successful long-term programs. Uh, and so I, I would say the clients who are uh, successful in adding in these longer-term solutions uh, will, be, uh, will be doing just that, making sure that it, it jives with their long-term plan. Uh, you know, so, so this complementary approach is, is what I would say is going to be successful and it has been successful with some of my clients, uh, including things like what we're doing now, looking at podcasts and other ways to stay in front of centers of influence and, and having something to talk about 
and start the conversation. Uh, you know, while there, there's not as much in-person uh, conferences going on right now, uh, there's still a lot of online exposure. And so, so clients and, and contractors who are still involved in those groups and industries are simply finding a way to shift their involvement and shift their uh, sponsorships uh, to those online platforms. Uh, and I think it's a, you know, another critical thing will be certainly CRM software and, and you know, Salesforce, things like that, that can really manage a client relationship from soup to nuts. Um, it will be critical in this time frame to stay in front of clients, to understand what their needs are and how you can address them. But the same thing, as I said earlier, you know, I think, I think software investments like those shouldn't be a reaction. They should be a long-term, uh, long-term investment and in that it still fits within the whole game plan. How about you, Barbara? Well, Laura, I think we're all adapting to the new normal in terms of connecting. My life as a business developer went from being at breakfast, lunch, dinners, and events daily, weekly, monthly. And now my life is surrounded around the Zoom room, which I've come to really embrace. Online seminars, even online conferences that would include site tours have become a normal part of our day and the way all companies are staying connected with their clients and prospects. And I think from our perspective, sharing best practices and thought leadership is critical as we all work to maintain profitable businesses. It's critically important for us to keep in touch with our clients and prospects to understand their pain points and how we can help them navigate through this very unusual pandemic. That's a great point, Barbara. And I think as much as um, really every industry is having to focus on staying connected to understand what those future needs for their customers are going to be. And whether that's through regularly scheduled phone calls, through participating in thought leadership roundtables online, it's very, very important to understand what is going to be different and how your company can position to meet that need. So let's switch gears now and talk about human capital in succession. Everyone knows that our industry faced many challenges related to recruitment and retention of human capital prior to the pandemic. Now as companies are trying to return to work, it's important to protect that most valuable asset, your people. Some contractors have put substantial effort into maintaining strong communication and relations with employees that are working at home. And even though tough times with fur furloughs and layoffs, they've been able to maintain a strong culture because of that transparent and open communication. What are some of the challenges or best practices that you're seeing with your clients relative to their people? You know, Laura, one of the most amazing outcomes of COVID isolation is that through technology, we're able to stay connected and productive. And for the construction industry, technology has assisted to keep projects moving forward through virtual inspections that the counties and the states are now doing in order to check on job sites. And on the actual job sites, contractors have put their employees' health and safety first via temperature checks, masks, gloves, hand sanitizers. So for those of us in the office environment, we live in the Zoom room connecting with our clients and with our experts, no matter where they are in the United States. I found it to be 
life-changing to a degree in terms of the better way to stay connected on a more regular basis with our clients and, and our friends and our prospects through technology. It's been amazing. Barbara, I think, I think that's a great point. We, we are definitely in this weird environment of connectivity and, and on a whole new frequency and level, but also this weird isolationism. Uh, so it's this weird dichotomy that we're seeing. You know, certainly from, from personal experience and, and working with our, our team members of all ages and, and ranges, so much of their experience, I think, it depends on their demographic. And, you know, I think if we can drop them into buckets, you know, I, my general experience is, and I, I doubt, you know, I, I'm willing to bet the experience of other contractors as well who employ these age range, uh, you know, people are, you know, I believe the young and, and single people who are living on their own, young professionals, uh, you know, they're needing a different level of support and engagement. And, and oftentimes the ne- connectivity through zoom uh, is, is kind of wearing on them. At least, at least the ones fairly substantial amount that I've engaged with. So I think contractors and companies of all sizes will be successful when they acknowledge that and, and care for the employee holistically offering things like free counseling or sponsored counseling, you know, emotional support and other sort of small group support. I think that's going to be critical to maintaining an employee's engagement and welfare uh, from a mental standpoint as well. Uh, you know, then, then you look at things like young families, such as myself. I have four young kids, six and under, with a wife who is also at home trying to manage every, you know, the youngest one is seven months. Uh, so it's crazy, right? So we have, we have a really flexible schedule. And I think to the extent that employers can allow this autonomy with bumpers is what I'd call it. You're letting people make their own decisions and set their schedules while still being accountable for production and things that need to get done. I think that's going to be where, where contractors will win is, is breaking it down by segment or, or by demographic and, and making sure that you're adapting. I think the younger generation has, or, or the, the millennials or, or, and younger have gotten a reputation of kind of on-demand feedback. And with, with this COVID environment, I would tell you that that is going to only increase because they're not going to be around to listen in on other conversations and pick up training tidbits from their peers. Uh, a lot of it is going to be trial and error and, and they will have to increase actually the amount of, uh, you know, affirmation or feedback that they need because the training is just such a different, it's just happening at a different pace and a different level uh, than it has with other generations. Roger, you raised some incredibly sensitive points, and my children are grown, so I don't have those challenges that that you and so many others do. And I have a husband here, so I'm not living alone. One of the things that I like about Zoom is the fact that I can actually see somebody's face, see them smile, get that whole expression. And when you're out in a meeting in person, you've got a, a mask on. And so if you're not good at reading eye contact, it's, I think it's going to be, it's really a challenging time, but I, I am certainly sympathetic and empathetic to those with challenges that you just discussed. It's real. And I think, Roger, you made a great point of the flexibility that companies need to have as they're looking at what a work environment looks like for employees moving forward that the needs of, of, a, of a single young person are very different than that of a parent working at home with kids. 
and that of someone that might have health concerns that really has reasons why they don't want to be um, in the office. And then you have the required flexibility that's necessary because you have some employees that are required on the job site every day that are essential workers. And so it's all, it's a whole new game from an employee perspective. And I think companies have to be um, very thoughtful and strategic moving forward because we don't want to find ourselves back where we were as an industry in 2009, where we were really struggling, not being able to recruit new employees and we're having a challenge retaining those that have been working for us. So all new ground as it relates to maintaining uh, the investment that you've made in your people and keeping them happy. As an accounting and advisory firm, we are always helping our clients evaluate their financial viability. And today these conversations seem to be focusing more on enhancing financial recovery. The CARES Act and PPP loans created opportunity for some contractors to get relief. And I know we've created a lot of thought leadership and tools to assist with those programs today, so we won't go into depth on either of those. What are some of the other common areas of concerns you're seeing with contractors relative to their financial resilience? Yeah, that's another great question, Laura. Um, my my general response is is cash is king. You know now more than ever it always has been, uh, but really businesses should be focused on a consistent and regular monitoring of their cash flow and their cash layout. And no doubt with our large contractors that involves a certain uh, you know, layer of workforce planning. And so there's there's definitely a unique involvement now called for uh, you know monitoring inflows as well as outflows and planning what is the what is the scheduling look like uh, and when will those resources be needed so that if they're not needed, they can go up and be pursuing other uh, meaningful work. So I think that's the biggest issue that we're seeing with my clients. Um, you know, the other the other thing worth mentioning is is a lot of the programs that we have been kind of thought leaders on PPP, uh, you know, the EIDL, a lot of these CARES Act uh, initiated programs. Uh, and we've, we've been out there in front trying to help clients. Uh, same thing, those help with, with cash flow. Um, and you know, lastly, I'll throw in there, there's a lot of tax reform uh, that was, or tax planning situations and, and scenarios that were passed with the CARES Act. And so we've been uh, in front of a lot of our clients as well, looking at ways to adjust tax strategy uh, to plan for and maximize cash flow in, in the short term. Thanks, Roger. So Roger, those are such great points and we all agree that cash is king. And it's been interesting for me to see that many projects that have not been put on pause or on hold are moving forward on schedule and on budget and collections have not been an issue for contractors and developers. But I think everybody is taking a very cautiously optimistic view of the financial viability in the commercial real estate world um, going forward. We don't know how long this pandemic is going to be around. The one issue that has come up several times is valuation. If there is a flight to the suburbs, it's going to have an enormous impact on urban properties. At the same time, those suburban properties are gonna get a wonderful bump in terms of their valuation. Many people are now in the habit of working remotely and not having to commute. 
And that commute robbed them of one to two hours away from home and their families. So I've talked to a couple of our retail developers who not only are talking about taking some of the spaces that may come back to them and using it for next day delivery for Amazon and other delivery modules in retail, but they're also talking about transforming some of those empty spaces into what could be satellite offices with abundant free parking. So it'll be interesting to see how the world changes from the suburbs to the urban environments. Well, great thoughts, Barbara and Roger. Thanks for that. You know, hardly a day goes by where I don't receive some sort of email phishing attempt or spam notification. Cybersecurity has certainly been a major issue brought to the forefront by the pandemic, with employees accessing the company from external devices. And inadequate IT infrastructure is likely at the root of some of the productivity challenges that some contractors faced when forced to operate remotely. How are you seeing contractors responding to the challenges of IT infrastructure and cybersecurity? Laura, cybersecurity has become one of the hottest topics that we discuss with our clients. It was always an issue, but as you said, Laura, not a day goes by that we don't receive phishing. They're getting pretty clever. The bottom line is that if you see something that doesn't look quite right, send a note to the person or firm who sent it to you to ensure it's truly from them. Nine times out of 10, it won't be legit. All firms should invest in cyber checks, and we have a highly qualified team at Baker Tilly that does just that. Right before I got on this call, I had a, a fishing uh, expedition, front, and it said it was from Baker Tilly, but I knew that it was not. So you really have to double check what you're looking at on your computer and on your devices. I think that's a great point, Barbara. Uh, no doubt, we, you know, in times like these, we all got to be on top of our toes uh, for what's coming in and what we're clicking on. Uh, you know, I, I would add that, you know, in, in sticking with kind of a strategic and, and long-term plan uh, that we've seen successful with our clients is adding dashboards and dashboard visibility for leaders at all levels. Um, that will be, I believe, will be critical uh, to maintain insight and, and you know, transparency to managing this, this constantly fluid environment. You know, we talked a little bit about earlier about, you know, compressed scheduling times for construction projects. And I think having a dashboard or having some sort of access to, to the transparency of that data will be critical to adjusting uh, on, on the right time frame uh, and, and to maximize your productivity in that scenario. So the last area I would like to touch on today is the stabilization of subcontractors and suppliers. And we know virtually every contractor has been impacted by delays due to workforce or materials. Contractors rely upon a slot supply chain of subs and suppliers to provide products for their operations. Just as we recommended in 2010 coming out of the economic recession, it is critical that contractors understand how their supply base has been impacted. What are some of the concerns or recommended practices around supply chain that you hear in conversations with contractors? You know, Laura, this is a, a huge issue. The U.S. relies on a lot of foreign imports for steel and other critical materials for the construction industry. 
Years ago, I became a huge fan of tall mass timber construction, which has made great strides in how high a building can be built. An example is Heinz, who did a building in Milwaukee that's over 25 stories. The biggest benefit is speed of construction as much as pre is prefabricated. The other benefit is that we're using materials that we grow right here in the US and in our neighbor in Canada. But put it, watching a building go up, it's like putting together a Lego project. It's environmentally sound as the forests do need thinning in order to survive and thrive. But there's so many benefits to this. I could go on and on because I'm, I'm just, as I mentioned, a huge fan. But the biggest thing is the sustainability issue. These are healthy, healthy buildings. The one big drawback that I would be remiss in not mentioning is that it is today more expensive to build mass timber. A project really needs to be close to the source, close to the forest where they're actually milling these the wood in order for it to be more cost effective. But the long-term benefits in terms of the environment are huge. Barbara, I think that's a great, it's a great point. You know, the other, the other kind of unspoken benefit to, uh, you know, pre, rather prefabricated uh, components is I think you, you kind of control the environment those are made in, right? Less time on the job site, uh, less time exposed for a lot of your workers, and you can, you can really compress the amount of exposure you have to, uh, to not only the elements, but to, uh, you know, being around other people uh, in an unprotected or, or unmoderated way. Uh, so I think that's I think that's a really great uh, really great point. You know, I, generally we're seeing general uh, best practices for our contractors is really supplier and subcontractor diversification, uh, or even working with multiple uh, subcontractors to uh, on a job where you may just you know traditionally have have let one at it. Um, so I think to the extent you know uh, contractors can diversify, continue to analyze and and work with trusted subs and invest in those relationships in an open and transparent way. Uh, I think they're going to be successful not only in the now, but set themselves up for success in the future. Great points, Roger and Barbara. One other area that I think it's important for contractors to be thinking as it relates to their subcontractors and suppliers is to both informally as well as formally keep tabs on how they're doing financially and with their workforce. You know, many contractors have put a qualification practice into place. Having a requalification process might be something to consider at this point. Informally, that could be by project managers talking in the project manager meeting about the performance of the subcontractors with suppliers. Are they struggling to meet the timelines or their delays? And it's really important that we're keeping track of that so that we can hopefully plan accordingly and either diversify as Roger suggested or put measures into place to assure that the schedule and the project cost won't be negatively impacted. Within any of these areas, there are so many different recommendations that contractors can be taking advantage of as they're preparing for recovery. Barbara, Roger, thank you for sharing your insights on strategies for contractors to consider as they're preparing for recovery. We hope that today's Building Resilience podcast gave you additional information on strategies that you should be deploying right now to adapt and respond to the business challenges resulting from COVID-19. 
We encourage you to visit our construction-specific page on bakertilly.com to take the recovery assessment. We'd love to hear your feedback. If you have any future topic recommendations or you'd like to have a more in-depth discussion on any of the issues we identified today, please email us at build, B-U-I-L-D, at bakertilly.com. Thank you, and we look forward to connecting with you soon. Thank you for joining us today. To receive notification when new episodes become available, please subscribe to Baker Tilly US wherever you get your podcast.